Welcome to the My God and Your God podcast, a Christian podcast where we dive into scriptures to expand our knowledge of He who is both our God and the God of Jesus, plus much, much more. In this first episode, we're briefly introducing what biblical Unitarians believe. Now, while we don't all agree in the interpretation of every passage or with other doctrines, we do agree on who both God is and who Jesus is. It's actually nearly impossible to find any two Christians, whether part of the same church denomination or not, who actually agree on the interpretation of every passage and on every doctrine. So, what do Biblical Unitarians believe about God and Jesus? In short, Biblical Unitarians believe that God is one individual person and that Jesus is not God, but a human being empowered by God and also distinct from God. Now, since this is an introductory episode, we're only going to cover some of the verses that demonstrate these two core beliefs. But for those of you who are listening to hear an explanation of the common verses Trinitarians use to impose that Jesus is God, don't worry, we'll cover those passages in future episodes. Okay, so let's look at the first core belief that God is one individual person. One of the most basic rules of grammar is that the singular personal pronoun refers to a single person. And this is the clearest and most abundant indicator that God is one individual person. Let's look at some verses where God speaks using these pronouns for himself. Let's go to Genesis 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord, that is Yahweh, appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Well, that was quite easy. Yahweh simply says, I am God Almighty, walk before me. If we go back to basic grammar that we learned in elementary, we know that the pronouns I and me refer to a single person. God is using simple and easy grammar that anyone can clearly understand. Next verse, Exodus 6.6. 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Again, Yahweh is using the singular personal pronoun I. In fact, he uses it several times, clearly showing that God is indicating to us that he is one single person. But let's go to one more verse. Exodus 10.3 So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. So again, we see here, he says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Okay, that's singular, personal pronoun. Let my people go. Again, singular, personal pronoun. That they may serve me. So this may seem a bit redundant, but it's important to emphasize because God isn't just using these pronouns a few times here and there. 
he really uses them thousands and thousands of times throughout all of scriptures, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And not only does God use them for himself, but everyone else uses it for God as well. So let's go to the New Testament and see some verses where Jesus himself refers to God with the singular personal pronouns. In Matthew 19.4, it says, He answered, referring to Jesus, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Notice that it's not just that he's using a singular personal pronoun for God, but he's actually referring to the God who created mankind, the God of Genesis 1. So, Jesus refers to God, the one creator God, as a singular person. Jesus gives no indication that he is also part of the creator God with the Father. He simply says that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Next, we go to Luke 6.35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Here, Jesus refers to the Most High, that is to say God, right? Who is the Most High? It's Yahweh. And he refers to him as a he, as a single person. Now we know by going back to verse 32 of Luke chapter 1, that Jesus is not the Most High, but rather the Son of the Most High. So Jesus, again, is not referring to himself here. We're not the sons of Jesus. We are sons of God, sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind. Finally, let's go to Luke 20, 37 and 38. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Again, Jesus clearly uses a singular personal pronoun to refer to God. Okay, and it's not just the Father, right? This is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, which is very, very important, as we'll see later on. Any Christian who takes God's inspired word seriously cannot simply ignore all these instances where singular personal pronouns are used for God and by God himself. It's so abundant and it just can't be pushed aside. Although the argument of singular personal pronouns makes it very, very clear that God is one person, there is another argument that builds on this foundation, and that's the use of the Hebrew word nephesh. The word nephesh translates many different ways depending on context, but it mostly means either soul, life, self, person, or even creature, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, referring to the animals. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, the Lord says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. When God uses the word nephesh here, which is a word translated as soul, he adds the singular personal pronoun as a suffix, my, which again 
it shows that God refers to himself as a single person or a soul or a single self. He is literally saying my person. Now, this isn't the only time God uses this word for himself. We can also go to Jeremiah 5, 9, where he says, Shall I not punish them for these things, declares Yahweh? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? So again, you see the word myself, my nephesh there. And he then repeats the same phrase in Jeremiah 5, 29 and Jeremiah 9, 9. So, looking at these verses, we can clearly see that Yahweh, that is the one true God, uses singular personal pronouns for himself and even combines it with the Hebrew word nephesh, meaning person or soul. The evidence really does speak for itself. We can spend a lot more time here, but let's move on to the second core belief of biblical Unitarians, that Jesus is a human being empowered by God and is also distinct from God. If I had to choose one passage in scripture or one verse that best sums up this second belief, it would have to be Acts 2.22, where Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This verse specifically stands out because this is Peter's first sermon after being filled with the Holy Spirit, a sermon in which 3,000 Jews became believers, and it begins by affirming the core belief that Jesus is a man through whom God works. Nothing about Jesus being God incarnate or about a triune God. So in this verse, it clearly, again, it says that Jesus is a man, okay? And not just any man, but a man attested by God. That is to say, demonstrated or proven by God. And how was he proven? Well, it was with mighty works, wonders, and signs, or simply miracles. Peter doesn't say that Jesus was doing these things by his own divine power, but it was something that God did through him. In their midst, before their eyes, God did all of this. That is why he says, as you yourselves know, because they saw him. They saw him heal the blind and the lame. They saw him when he did all these miracles. They saw him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, Peter was only confirming what they already knew before, that God was the one working through Jesus. Now, it's very possible that many of these 3,000 who were saved were those who followed Jesus, maybe because they liked his teachings or it could have been for the miracles. But when it became difficult, they turned away from him. And if some of these were those that did turn away before, it could have been in fear of the Pharisees since they could be expelled from the synagogues. But we really don't know. What we do know is that they were there and they saw Jesus, whether they followed him or not at that time. Peter is telling them that it was God doing all of this through Jesus. And now, after his resurrection, they see the truth, so they repent and believe in Christ. Peter, in this sermon, which goes all the way to verse 36, never mentions 
any necessity of believing that Jesus is God incarnate or part of some triune Godhead. He simply says that he was a man approved by God with all these miracles that God did through him and that he was raised up from the dead. That is the foundation of what we have to believe. Now let's go to the Gospel of John where we see that there is someone who understood that the deeds of Jesus had to be from God. Not that Jesus was God, but that God was with him. Nicodemus, speaking with Jesus in John 3, verse 2, says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus clearly understood that what Jesus did was possible because God was with him. Nicodemus is a student of the scriptures. He knows that when God wanted to approve a person in the Old Testament, he did so through signs. If you just go back to, let's say, Exodus, where when God wanted to prove that Moses was his servant, he did it through signs. He brought the plagues and he split the sea for Israel. Therefore, it's not surprising to Nicodemus that God is with Jesus because the signs are a clear indication, even though the Pharisees reject him. They know the best explanation is that God is working through him, but since they don't want to accept him as a Messiah, they deny that it is God at work in Jesus. We see a good example of this in Matthew 9, 1-8. When Jesus heals a paralytic saying, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, the scribes said in their heart that Jesus has blasphemed. But Jesus responds by saying, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? And here's the key, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Yes, this is something God has the authority to do, but you know what? God gave me this authority. And although the scribes do not want to believe him because they don't accept him as a Messiah, the crowds there were able to see the truth through the miracle this is how God is proving that Jesus is actually his servant. Then Matthew got on to narrate. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Matthew affirms that when the crowd saw this miracle and heard the words of Jesus, they understood that, yes, okay, it's obvious. Jesus can forgive sins because God gave him this authority. There is no way to deny that Jesus had this authority by the signs he did. Nevertheless, the scribes still rejected him. But if Matthew's words aren't enough for you, then let's go to the words of Jesus himself. In John 14, 9 through 11, Jesus testifies that God was the one working in him. After Philip asked to see the Father, Jesus replied, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? 
the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The crowds in Matthew 9 believed God gave Jesus authority to forgive sins through the miracle. And here, Jesus is telling his disciples to believe that God dwells in him. How? Through the works. Through the works that God does in him. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you don't believe me by my words, believe me by the works, because that is the Father working in me. This is a common theme that we'll see in scriptures much, much more in future podcasts. For now, what I want to do is go on to the last part of this core belief, which is that Jesus is distinct from God. Although it should be clear by now that Jesus is distinct from God by what we've seen, I want to take it a step further because I think it's very important that we establish that Jesus is not only different from the person of the Father, as Trinitarians already believe, but that he is distinct from Yahweh, and that it was Yahweh who was working in Christ. Trinitarians say that Jesus is Yahweh, that he is the only God along with the Father and the Spirit, but the scriptures do not teach this. The scriptures teach that Jesus is distinct from Yahweh, the one true God. The very same method Trinitarians use to show that Jesus is not the Father also proves that Jesus is not Yahweh. First, let's go to the verse that establishes who Yahweh is. We see it in Exodus 3:13 through 15 where God reveals his name to Moses and he says, "Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Here in this passage, we see that God himself tells us what his name is. That's Yahweh, and that this is his name forever. He is the only true God. Yahweh alone is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's see how this individual named Yahweh is distinguished from Jesus. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, quoted many times in the New Testament, and it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord, that is Yahweh, said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So notice how it says, Yahweh said to me, which shows that Yahweh and Jesus are two different individuals. Why? Well, if one person is talking to another, then it's two distinct persons, two distinct individuals. Here, it's Yahweh and Jesus. If Peter speaks to John, we know that Peter and John are two different people. Therefore, the idea that Jesus and the Father are both Yahweh 
does not work because here we have specifically the person of Yahweh speaking to the person of Jesus, two different persons. If we go to Isaiah 42, one, a verse we saw earlier already, we have again, Yahweh speaking of Jesus. And he says, behold, my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him showing again a distinction between Jesus and Yahweh. Yahweh is speaking of his servant. Yahweh put his own spirit. This is the spirit of God, the spirit of Yahweh in Christ. Something that we see repeated again in Isaiah 61, 1, which Jesus later confirms in Luke's gospel, chapter four. Again, we have Jesus and Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh's servant. That is two distinct individuals. In the New Testament, Jesus himself is also distinguished from God. Now, we know that when it comes to God, there's only one God, again, Yahweh. And in John 14, 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Right? So this is Yahweh. This is who the apostles would understand as God. So again, Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. Here, we have to believe in two different individuals. We have to believe in Yahweh, right? In God. And we have to believe in Jesus as well. Now, in order to not make this episode much longer, let's look at one more verse that is really unmistakable. And that's Acts 3.13. Peter says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, doesn't that sound a bit familiar? Doesn't that remind us back of Exodus chapter 3 or Luke chapter 20, verse 37 and 38? Well, it should, because again, it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. But here's a key. Peter says, glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, this is very important. Why? Because we know that in Exodus 3, Yahweh says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, Peter, referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, says that he, that's Yahweh, glorified his servant Jesus. It really can't get any simpler than this. As a Jew, Peter no doubt knew that Yahweh alone is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he proceeds to say that Jesus is Yahweh's servant, as he should, as he knows. He knows the scriptures and has read over and over again Isaiah 42.1. He knows that this Messiah is Yahweh's servant and is also his son, like we saw in Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. If the Trinity is true, one would expect that Peter would have at least elaborated a little more here, or anywhere else for that matter. He wouldn't have let his audience miss such a crucial detail if Jesus was also Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But no, Peter in no way clarifies this supposed truth that Trinitarians tell us we have to believe. He simply states what the scriptures have already said, that Jesus is Yahweh's son and his servant. There is no need to elaborate either here or anywhere else. 
In conclusion, to summarize this episode, we first demonstrated that God is a single individual person by the use of singular personal pronouns and by the use of those pronouns along with the Hebrew word nefesh, which means soul or person. We then demonstrated how Jesus was a man empowered by God to perform the miracles he did. And finally, we demonstrated that Jesus is not just an individual distinct from the Father, but that he is clearly an individual distinct from Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I hope you'll join us next time as we answer the question, is belief in the deity of Christ necessary for salvation? Thank you for listening, and my prayer is that the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.